Gua sobro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast presented by Macy Sports, episode 138. We're rolling through the episodes here. Pleasure, as always. I'm your co-host, Alexander Dungy-Ruzik, joined by Samuel Rowan. And uh, just, I guess, before we, we start, a shout out to, to the listeners for sticking through us with this busy period. Um, but uh, before... You know, as we well, we'll dive right into uh, everything. Pardon me, there. Kind of lost my, my train of thought. But the Whitecaps train keeps on rolling. Vancouver Whitecaps into the finals of the Canadian Championships. Some uh, some MLS game lo- looming now for the rest of the month before the big game that is the finals. So big week for the Whitecaps. We previewed it all beforehand. Did it go as planned? We'll dive into that. But before we do, uh, quickly, Sam, how are you doing this week after that very haphazard intro by myself? No, doing very, very well uh, back in the UK, which weirdly enough, is it feels very normal at this point. So uh, yeah, back to back to late night podcast recording for me. Uh, but yeah, a big, big victory for the Whitecaps. A little bit closer than probably they wanted in the end, but overall, a, a another solid performance. And uh, what do we talk about, Alex? What did we hear from Danny Sartini in the week leading up? He set out the exact same goals we talked about in the podcast. You know, make the Canadian Championship final, win the Canadian Championship, make the playoffs. Well, they've made the Canadian Championship final. They're going to have a chance at silverware. Silverware is going to be in the building in BC place, available for the Whitecaps to win. And is the last time that happened in, what was it, 2017, 2018? With the, the, the shocker against against TFC? If we're not counting Cascadia Cup, because I know no, that was no, a thing. No. Well, I just know the last time that, that the, the Caps, obviously the last time they're in a final was 2018. If we want to go technicalities, last time Silverware was in the building was 2016. The famed Will Johnson 96-minute goal. That that's what, broke I'm, that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. So it's been six years since Silverware has been in the building, and it's that I'm same just, Toronto I'm FC trying to side. illustrate, right? Like, this is a major event. It's not that often that hardware is going to be in bc place for the vancouver whitecaps and they're going to have the ability to to take that hardware home hasn't happened very often well that's it six years since that faded kendall waston and david usted mix up ball bounces to will johnson Hopefully there aren't similar memories like that this time but we'll we'll, t- we'll touch on the final in a bit I've, so far i've never heard a building go as quiet is when that bell found the back it of the was. net. It was, in, it was incredible. It was... I'm happy, happy, honestly, to have been there in person despite the difficult memories of that day. And yeah, as you said, just the transition from not being able to hear yourself think to being able to hear a pin drop in a moment. It was, a, it was a cool, <laughs> undoubtedly a very cool sports moment, even if it was painful at the time. I mean, it would be fantastic if you're a Toronto FC fan, say, in the building. Like, I, that's the sort of experience you dream of. Your club scores a 96-minute cup final winner. 
like in a, another team's building, one of your rivals is building. Like it doesn't get much better than that. But uh, speaking of Canadian championship memory, so far this year been a lot better for the Whitecaps heading into the year was the, can they get past Valor? Oh, even if they get past Val, they're not getting past Calvary. Oh, they got past Calvary. Does it stop at York? Well, they've done the job three for three, uh, two wins, one draw, rather efficient. I mean, penalties against Calvary was about as close as it to, uh, as a CPL team got to taking down the Caps. Otherwise, um, those 20 minutes really were where Calvary had the lead was the only time out of the 360 minutes where they didn't have the leader were tied. So the white caps took care of business against the CPL teams. And this latest York game was just an example of it. I mean, two, one in the end was two nil for a good chunk of it. Late goal by Isaiah Johnston. Remember the name I may, I may add with a, a great goal. Uh, Deedee Nabzi's last game for York, of course, another solid showing from there. But uh, just the Whitecaps got the job done. They came out with the A-team lineup and then some. Uh, they tried to batter down the doors, took a few attempts, and then Brian, the Brian White show the rest of the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the the quality of Andres Cubas, Ryan Gold, uh, the clinical nature of Brian White, uh, it, it was great to see all those those elements come to uh, to the forefront against the CPL team. Cause I think that was the, that was the struggle in the past, right? Is that um, not having your best players out there or not getting the key performances you need from your best players against what is, you know, categorically inferior competition. Right. And it feels like for the most part throughout this cup run so far, uh, the Whitecaps have been able to rely on their big guns, uh, whoever they have on the pitch to, to get the job done. And I think shout out to, to Ryan Raposo who had a, another solid performance as well. And yeah. And even, you know, um, a bit, a bit of a ramshackle back line, not a, not a traditional back line there with Flo Youngvirth in the, in the center. And I think that was another takeaway for me was that, um, you know, they were able to obviously play a lot of their, their A team, but able to just sprinkle in as Vanny Sartini always does a good little bit of squad rotation so that you have Ranko Veselinovic, ready to go for the weekend. Um, you have options like Tristan Blackman and Javane Brown available this weekend. I think that's uh, that's a clever little bit of planning for, for Vanny, even in what he continues to say, you know, each one of these was the most important match of the year. You understand your opponent. You understand the way you're going to set up. And uh, I I think overall, Alex, I mean, this is just more of a general talking point than about York specifically. I feel like in the last couple of weeks, maybe even a month, Vanny Sartini's done a much better job setting up for specific opponents. And he seems a little less married to the, this is the way we play football at all costs, whether it's at home, on the road, no matter the opponent. That's kind of how he started the year. And I feel like we've seen him evolve into someone who game plans for his opponent and really... You know, the lineups are, I feel like, starting to really indicate that a little bit more as well. Yeah, I don't know what it is. He seems to love these congested schedules as well. Like, if you look at the, the Whitecaps, like, they're form when they're they play every way, three days. They're way, way better when they have midweek matches. Like, when they're playing, like, every three, four days. Like, this is the one thing I said about Vanny Sartini. I was saying it someone off the record like earlier this week, but uh, I feel like may as well say it on the podcast. It's like true. I mean, Vanny Sartini is one of the only coaches I've ever seen that has gone, I am going to bring rotation 
and he actually brings rotation. You see it all the time at coaches. Oh, I'm going to use my bench. I'm going to be deep. And then by week seven, you know, every, you know, the, the starting four, three, three by heart, you know, who's going to be where maybe one or one or two surprises every week or the bench. They faces. get the, the Richie Larea at Nottingham treatment, right? Yeah, like you, you get the oh, that's a winning team. Well, Vanny Sartini, this when even when the Whitecaps are winning, like I mean, this is a this is a great time. I may add to be part of the the '86 Forever starting guess the starting eleven competition. Shout out to you guys for that. Because before it was easy. It was oh, it's Carl Robinson, and you know, got Usted and Goal, Waston and Parker, etc. So you go through the list. It's pretty straightforward back in the day. Now it's like you, you have you have, your guess is as good as any in terms of who the heck is going to play every week. And I think that's great because it's really, again, it's keeping, we're seeing the squad hungry again. Guys are coming in off the bench and putting in valiant performances. We're seeing the growth of guys. We talked on the week in our last show about how Marcus Godinho has, has grown. And then, you know, Ryan, uh, Ryan Raposo comes in a replacement, puts up another solid performance. All of a sudden you've got a bit of a Canadian fullback, you know, battle brewing between those two. Uh, you know, Flo Youngworth after a bit of some some quiet games, he gets to play in the middle of a back three. I thought he was a perfect insertion for him, for me in terms of these cup games, just the emotion he brings. It was something they missed last year in the playoffs as well. You do wonder then if maybe in bigger games, it's, you know, is he in the Whitecaps best back three right now? No, but you look at what he's been able to do in these bigger games where you have to be emotionally there, emotionally up for the task. He does bring a bit of an edge to, to the Whitecaps, so Lots of good performances in that rotation. I think it's just fitting that the Whitecaps, they've been, yeah, like you mentioned, they've, been, they've become adaptable. They've realized that when they have everyone healthy that they can rotate through guys. The fact that, like you mentioned, they're able to to, to rest, you know, all these sorts of guys for for the weekend, even, you know, give get Kubas off the field rather early. Uh, you can get Cavallini off the field rather early as well to to, to save them for the, the weekend as well. I mean, the, the Whitecaps are just rolling in all the right ways. The one thing I actually wanted to ask you, Alex, because you were there covering it, and I don't know if you got the the official notes or the official word, was Marcus Godinho, he wasn't in the 18, correct? Was that just a, a fitness sort of management thing, or is there is there an injury concern to be worried about? Because he was in great form coming into this, um, this Canadian Championship semifinal, so I just wonder, now thinking forward to the weekend, if he's going to be available. No, that was just a numbers crunch. Uh... Canadian championship still under old rosters. So there's only 18 rosters, whereas MLS, they've expanded it to 20. There is five subs in the Canadian championship, thankfully. And I guess though, if they but, knew uh, that they weren't planning on using Godinho as a sub, then what's the point in having him on the bench? Yeah, and the thing is with Godinho, he's always kind of, I think his role we've kind of seen him is he's a good 60-minute starter. He might not, you know, come off, you know, he might not do a 90-minute game or, he, you know, even off the bench, he's, not really, you know, he's just, he's good as a starter, a 60 minute starter. You know, if Luis Martins has proven to be a good guy off the bench, uh, you know, in terms of fullbacks, you have a smaller bench. Honestly, I don't, I'm, I'm not too surprised by it. And maybe that's good news for Godinho. Could he potentially start against this Revs team uh, on, on Saturday? Certainly if he's rested uh, and whatnot, Vanny Sartini's obviously liked what he's seen from him in, in, in training as of late to, to keep including him as he has. Um, it'll be interested to see if he futures against uh, the revolution. Okay, well, that's good info. I knew you'd have a intelligent answer to that query of mine. I mean, what is there anything else we want to cover from? I feel like the York match itself actually maybe didn't have a ton of massive talking points. Uh, but yeah, curious to hear your thoughts of anything, especially there in person, anything that, that really stood out to you. 
Yeah, I mean, for for one, let's just talk about Brian White. I mean, we kind of mentioned it leading into this game how you know his 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 confidence, his form, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily a hundred percent there. He's been getting back to fitness. I don't know if we mentioned it on the show or maybe we were talking pre-show, but we kind of joked at least how like, oh, Brian White needs, he's going to score a hat trick or, or a brace in this game and kind of get his legs under him. He's kind of the guy you need to break a York defense. He's big. He's going to go up against the tour and then Wilson and, and, and make something happen. And it was like, it was jokingly said, and that's what he did. It was, and Vanny Sartini kind of actually spoke about it after the game. Someone asked like, oh, Brian White, good to see him back in form. And, Penny Sartini, ever ever the jokesman amongst the other things he said, such as, what was it, Illuminatory Society and some of the other funny stuff he said. One of the tidbits, he's like, yeah, Brian White, that first goal, I'll be honest, it was really freaking ugly. But he's like, that's what Brian White does. He scores those really ugly goals. And I think Brian White just needed one of those. Like, it hadn't been going in for him. He had scored, obviously, that goal against Montreal a while back and then as well as against RSL. But he'd kind of, you know, it's been the Cavallini show as of late. He got his chance during the break with Cavallini gone. He hadn't really looked himself to just to go up front with Cava to get two goals. The first one, again, a tap in, not much to be said. But just the second goal was a Brian White goal. The way he ran on, just deftly flicked it uh, and, and put it in one of those impossible areas for Nico Giantsopoulos to, to save. I thought that was a Brian White goal. And I think it was just good to, to get him some form again because with the Caps, if they can get Cava and White going together, I think we're seeing it in glimpses. That partnership has potential, especially when uh, when Ryan Gold is, is finding his legs underneath them and they're getting that, that sort of wide service. And I think what we saw in, in flashes is, is just an example of that. I just want to pick up on that last point there. Do you do you think that that's the, the end game for the front two for Vancouver to have Brian White and Lucas Cavallini alongside each other? Or are you still... I don't know. Part of me, I guess, is still clinging on to this idea that Christian Dahomey is going to be um, the the second striker, the the false nine with whoever's got fresh legs, whoever's ready to go for Vancouver. But you know, we saw the Dahomey wing back experiment once again with mixed success. I, I just, yeah, I wonder. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent sold. I guess on the Cavallini White chemistry just yet. I I like what they bring individually but I, I wonder if I've seen what I would I guess hope to see about like them combining up to this point I'm just all I'll say is pretty sure and actually uh, pardon me I'm pretty sure I actually mixed up the games actually Brian White didn't score against Arcel he scored against Dallas actually I want to correct uh, earlier but uh the two times they've started together this year I'm pretty sure has been uh or been the two more prominent times they've played together has been that Dallas uh, the 30 minutes against Dallas I was gonna say game. that that time off the bench I think that that was in-game adjustments really like overwhelmed Dallas in that one like, they weren't ready for it Mm-hmm. But I still think that's what about 90 minutes of them playing together and White has three goals. Kava has a goal. Uh, you know, they've been certainly finding a way to score when they're on the field together. So I'm like, why not? I want to see Christian Dahomey play in a higher position. I mean, we've we've had we've beat this discussion to death, but the unfortunate <laughs> reality is you got to ride the hot hand as much as I yeah. want to see Dahomey play. It's unfortunately he's. You look at the way the team's shaped up. If you're assuming this white, the white caps keeping this three five two, uh, you know, you Gold's going to be in there. He's slowly showing glimpses as we're seeing. He's still maybe not a hundred percent Ryan Gold that we know, but he's getting there. 
if Brian White's all of a sudden up to four goals on the year, he's shown that he can play with Cavallini. Cavallini has been on fire and has shown to, to be, you know, you know, playing with White, unless you're going to play Dahomey at wingback, whereas Yard, you look at the starting wingbacks. I mean, you'd say with Javane Brown at a center back, it's Raposo and it's honestly, it's Godinho right now. If you're looking at the guys, because Gutierrez isn't healthy, who would have thought those two like a month or two ago, funnily enough, but you look at all of that, all of a sudden Dahomey maybe ends up being a bit of a super sub, which to be fair, isn't a bad thing. So the thing about the White and Cavallini partnership, where I think you're maybe right, is in the sense that against some opponents, I do wonder if it will be a bit too predictable, if their size uh, you know, will be a bit too much. You need a little more speed. But I suppose to have a Diver Caicedo and a Christian Dahomey off the bench to rectify that and give you a different look also isn't the, the worst alternative to, to have. And as we know with Vanny Sartini, I'm sure he'll find a way to work in strategic starts for his pair of Colombians in, in games that he could use them, such as like, as he did against Dallas so well. Yeah, I guess just after seeing Dahomey in an advanced role again, that kind of just wet my appetite to see more of it, right? And and no, I think you're you're absolutely correct that they've Cavan and White have had success together, and I think you you articulated what I was thinking really well, which is just certain opponents that are ready for the direct route one stuff. Are they going to be able to combine and and you know kind of really put? defenders under stress who aren't capable or who are capable of handling that kind of physical pressure. So we'll have to see how it goes, but I know Vanny's thinking about all this stuff, I'm sure. So uh, overall encouraged. And I think, yeah, if you have two strikers in form, obviously you have to find a way to get them on the pitch together. Um, yeah. I mean, what else from that matchup? I think we, we haven't mentioned it yet, but obviously a couple defensive players, that haven't been in great form lately, sort of on the hook for the the late York goal. Jake Nerwinski getting turned back and forth a little bit, a lot of space there on the left-hand side. And then, I mean, I have to say another, another weak goal from Cody Cropper. And this kind of, I think, is a, unfortunately, a regression to probably what you expected from a third, fourth choice backup keeper, right? Like we saw... The, uh, you know, all guns blazing Cody Cropper who could stop everything. And now we're we're seeing a bit of a, of, of a regression to the mean. So I just, you know, don't like to bring up too many negatives. But those were two things that stood out. Uh, I mean, not that Alex, you and I have thought that this is a real debate. But I think it just establishes that when Thomas LaSalle is fit and ready to go, uh, they should plug him back into the lineup. And then for, for Nowinski, I just wonder, uh, especially with Brown moving to a center back role with Tristan Blackman back fit again. Uh, you know, where does this leave Jake, right? Cause can he play? I mean, maybe they want to try him at the wing back spot. I, I don't know. Uh, but it kind of, I think leaves Jake in a bit of a weird position. Yeah. It feels like he's kind of the odd man out right now. I mean, Eric Godoy is back and healthy. He's not obviously going to be a starting guy regularly. I don't think we're going to see that until the fall. I think that's smart. <laughs> we're finally seeing the load management that Godoy has maybe needed the last two years to be healthy in the big moments. Uh, Blackman's back and healthy. He's going to be starter in most games. It was good to give him a night off just to let him recover from his knee injury. But now with games coming a little slower, I'm sure he'll, you know, they'll, they'll be wanting to use him every week. You got Flo Youngworth all of a sudden making a good case for himself, you know, in the middle of the back three, Ranko Veselinovic is going to start when, it, when he's healthy and ready to go. 
that's all of a sudden four guys. And then you add in Javane Brown as well, who's looking very good as an outside center back. That's five guys all of a sudden ahead of Jake Nowitzki in the center back pecking order. It makes things a little tough. I mean, Vanny Sertini does like what he brings in certain areas. That's why he likes to keep playing him in games. Uh, also, he's one of the, the key leaders on the game, uh, in the on the team. Sorry, I think it's been interesting to see him rock the armband a lot lately, which kind of shows the leadership that he brings. But there's just the unfortunate reality that for those things, he just looks uncomfortable in that left center back position at times, especially one-on-one defending. He's good in, you know, it's all, he's been good in settings where it's maybe the, the, the back three is a little more cohesive, but just looking at what a guy like Isaiah Johnson, again, I have all the time in the, the, the world to talk about Isaiah Johnson, but still on paper, a CPL player turning Norwinsky inside out the way he did. It's never encouraging to, to see, but because of that, it's like you, you do wonder, I mean, what what role could Nerwinski serve in that position? Because teams will start to target. Teams will start to isolate him. Maybe this could be a time to move him back up to right wing back because we've talked about how Dahomey, I think it's officially time to, to kind of wrap that experiment up. You've got, you know, you look at right back. Javane Brown's now a center back. You know, good, yes, you've been playing Gutierrez at right wing back, not something I necessarily agree with. So you'd assume him and, and Martins and Raposo are the options on the left. Well, that kind of leaves just Marcus Gudinho as the, the main proper right back because even Raposo hasn't looked that comfortable on that side. That does leave a room for Jake Nowinski to slot up, slot in behind uh, Gudinho. And as we know, he is good at going forward, is Nowinski. He can whip in a cross in the box and maybe playing a little higher up the pitch with less defensive responsibility, less having to worry about being ISOed one-on-one and more just having to worry about track back, which to, he can do. He's a fit guy. He he does run well. I think maybe the right wing back could be a, a position. Is It's poor Jake getting you know swiveled around the lineup like that, but that could be maybe the way, way forward for him. Yeah, that's just exactly what I was thinking. You know, if he's if he's going to struggle to find minutes and any struggling a bit defensively at that at that left center back position, then maybe you have to uh, have to find work elsewhere, right? And Jake's um, as a team guy, as a leader, not been afraid to do that before. So I'm sure if you asked, you know, Vanny pulls Jake into his off or into his office and says, "Listen, we want to try you here." I know Jake's going to be up for the challenge. So I think that's something they might want to look at with how the depth is of that position. Okay, one other position that stood out to me from the York match that I think is worth maybe having a quick chat about in terms of how it plays out going forward is the midfield pivot. Because I actually think this is this is classic Vancouver Whitecaps. But you bring in a slightly different midfield complexion. You bring in Andres Kubas, and all of a sudden, Russell Tybert is looking pretty good in the midfield. I mean, I know it's against CPL opposition. You probably have a bunch of people online saying, see, this is the league that Russell Tybert should be playing in. Nonetheless, though, pinging some long balls, a couple key passes against York, just like because he doesn't have to do as much, um, and, and, and Kubas really, you know, just eats up so much of that midfield. I feel like Tybert's been a little bit rejuvenated. Uh, Kayo, short sub appearance, not the sharpest, um, obviously still kind of building up to, to full fitness. So I do wonder, uh, not in the long term, because I think you know that, you know, uh, Kayo and, and Kubas are at least two of the guys you're, you're trying to build around in the midfield. But what do you think the Whitecaps do in the short term? Do they... Do they roll with Tybert and Cubas together? 
I think you give Kyo the, the a run. I mean, it's been interesting to see that he didn't play against uh, Dallas, but then he also didn't play much against York. So a bit, bit of a weird one there in the, the sense that it was weird not to see him. But the good news is, as we've seen with Russell Tybert over his career, like he's not actually that bad going forward. I think of that flash against Toronto FC where he scored that brace it was in an advanced role. We saw it last year at the end of the season where him and Owusu kind of got this partnership where all of a sudden Tybert's in the final third scoring 25-yard volleys and whatnot. Like he's never been bad going forward. It's almost when he's asked to play a little deeper. That's kind of where the back pass Tiber that we know and love comes into play where he's maybe a little deeper, a little closer to his defenders. As soon as you get him away from the defenders, he actually does have a long pass in him, a forward pass, a shot. Uh, so I think what I'd say is, is he a starter on the best 11 of the white bank for white caps right now? No, let's not kid ourselves. But with Kubas in the fold, a guy who frees up the defensive responsibilities does a lot of the work that Tybert, you know, just naturally whenever slotted in that position, just tends to try to do for whatever reason. It frees Tybert to go up the pitch. At least, you know, you have the confidence that if it's Tybert and Kubas, that's not a bad combination at all. I mean, Kai was obviously going to do a lot of those things. I mentioned that Tybert does at a higher level. It's just the caliber of player Kai Alexandre is. That's no shot at Russell Tybert. But uh, if Kai wasn't able to go, you're still easing him in. Maybe you don't like the matchup. Maybe he's just not ready to go after short rest, et cetera. I think it is confidence-inducing that Russell Tybert it, it can slot in and do a job there, especially Sebastian Berhalter out for what looks, to be honest, I'd say like minimum two to three weeks, uh, maybe more based on how this has kind of come up. Uh, he's going to get evaluated at the beginning of July, so that's at least a week. And then you'd imagine there'd be a, you know, they'd take their time bringing him back. All of a sudden, it's kind of Kaio and it's Tybert and it's Awusu, which again, what the heck happens to, to Awusu now and all of all of this after this weird stretch from him. But uh, the Tybert and Kubas combo works, but I'm not that surprised by that given what we uh, we know about Russell Tybert. Yeah, no, that's a good breakdown. I think there's just, uh, there's a bit of cautiousness, right? That Kaio has been, been out for so long and the, the sample size has been so small that it seems like there's, this hesitancy to get him back up to uh, to full strength. And I mean, maybe the Whitecaps have, are feeling a little bit burned by their experiences with Ryan Gall, their experiences with Eric Godoy, where, um, you know, it seems really now like they're taking the very cautious approach with Whitecaps FC, two minutes, uh, lots of training buildup. They don't want these guys on and off the treatment table constantly. So, uh, yeah, very curious to see how Alexandre um, integrates back into the fold. Does he start? against the Revs this weekend? Um, and, and then how does he look for an extended period with Kubas alongside, if that's what happens? Uh, curious for that. But uh, any final thoughts here before we kind of transition to, I mean, we're already previewing the Revs in a sense, Alex. But uh, yeah, any anything more from the Canadian Championship? I guess um, to answer my own question, we got to talk a little bit about the final, right? And our feelings. At least an early the taste ma- before we go about our, the into our 90-minute deep dive in a month's time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, initial impressions, especially with uh, Lorenzo Insigne arriving in Toronto today. It's big. I mean, we were talking about it pre-show. I mean, the the, the Voyager's Cup is going to be in the building on July 27th. And, uh, Again, mark your calendars, July it hasn't been officially reported yet, but uh, have been told that some uh, BC Place employees have been told to, to circle that date in their calendar. So if they're being told that, 
I feel like uh, again, if you're if you're a fan and you're looking to be part of this historic movement or, or final or whatever you want to call it, July 27th it looks to be the date. But in terms of the final, we're talking about it pre-show. I mean, first year time in four years here in a final since 2018 when they lost to TFC quite embarrassingly. Uh, so your your last you haven't won a final since 2015, seven long years ago. Last time you had a final in your building. Uh, where like the trophy was in the building was the second leg of the 2016 final where uh, the Will Johnson kick famously ended it off. You know, it's it's been a minute for uh, for for the, the the Whitecaps in such a circumstance. So it's just huge. I hope the the you know the fans show up. I hope the players show up and have a good game. I hope it's just a good event because I think the Whitecaps have just not had enough of these, even though. You know, there used to be a three-team tournament. Even then, it just felt like they never, you know, would, would find a way to to get in over, you know, one of the the other teams. So I think the the Whitecaps is a huge opportunity for them. A Toronto FC time uh, team. This is their seventh straight Canadian Championship final, which is absurd. They just love this competition, and they they just seem to step up the way they destroyed Montreal out of nowhere. Four uh, nil is is just shows they're up for this competition. So it's not going to be an easy challenge for the Whitecaps, but man, what an opportunity. Cause you got the champions league too. That's cannot be stated. This is the last chance to qualify for the normal quote unquote champions league format before it goes supernova in 2024, I think it is. So it's the last chance for the Whitecaps to participate in the round of 16 format that currently exists. The, 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 you add in the fact, the chance to win a trophy, like the Whitecaps is going to be big for the city. Yeah, absolutely. The The whole Champions League thing can't be understated or, or can't be overstated, pardon me. But, uh, you know, I, I think the interesting thing, and I'm reminded of an answer to one of your questions, Alex, to Vanny Sartini, was that, uh, you know, Vancouver has been the most successful Canadian MLS team, um, you know, going back to last year. And I mean, that that form has has stayed true so far this season. Toronto in 12th. Um, 15 points through 15 matches played. Uh, other than San Jose, they've allowed the most goals in MLS. So I think certainly if you're just looking at the table, you're looking at current form, uh, there's a lot of reasons to think that uh, the Whitecaps have a very good chance, especially at home in this match where they've been so good. But obviously uh, Toronto with some pretty serious reinforcements on the way. So that's certainly... Uh, something to watch out for. And this TFC team, so volatile, um, they can be a world beater. They can be the worst team in MLS at times. It just, you, you never know what, what squad is going to show up. But uh, we obviously have some time to get ready for that. And very much looking forward, Alex, to diving into that more as the match looms closer and closer. I was going to say, it's just hilarious with the reinforcements. It brought up what someone mentioned on Twitter, which is so true. Like the Canadian championship roster rules are, are also hilarious. And I think as the tournament really starts to expand, they're going to need to look at this a little deeper because it was like, it was brought up and it's true. Lorenzo Insigne will land and just play in a final without having played in any of the other rounds. Probably hasn't been registered by a quote unquote deadline. So there isn't one. It's just, you can register guys all the way up. The only rule is that like, with Sirois where Valor wasn't allowed to play him because Montreal wanted to keep his eligibility in case they were able to, to, they needed to recall him, which is just like, it's hilarious that these sorts of rules exist. But uh, I mean, it benefits the Whitecaps. In fact, they're able to bring in Kubas and just throw him in uh, the competition uh, immediately. But uh, 
other than that, I think that's going to be good for the final that TFC is going to be with all their new guys. Whitecaps are going to have all their full squad. I mean, three Canadians need to be on the field anyway, so it might be interesting to see who which both sides choose. Whitecaps certainly went with the bare minimum of Canadians this time. Not used to seeing that from them. Usually that's the, the joke we made of Toronto. Full credit to them. They went out with like six or seven Canadians against Montreal. Might not be the case in a month's time. Does Iowa can only get a chance to win the golden boot? Does, uh, you know, is DeAndre Kerr going to keep his spot? Are we going to see some of the youngsters slot in? Who knows? But I ultimately, I just hope for a good final. It's one game. Hopefully a good crowd. If, the, if you're the Whitecaps, sell cheap tickets, get the word out. I know it's going to be a Wednesday night, which isn't ideal, but it is the same night as the fireworks in the city. So drum up something exciting around that. Be like, ooh, come watch a game and go to the fireworks after. Maybe put the game at six. So, you you know, you buy an extra time, some extra time for people to go get, go to the fireworks after. I don't know what you can do, but try and be creative, sell cheap tickets, because this would be memorable to have like 20, 25, 30,000 fans in the building for the Whitecaps competing for a trophy again. So I'm just looking forward to it. I think hopefully, hopefully, people will get up for a final against Toronto. Uh, hopefully there's enough people out there with memories of past uh, finals, you know, can invoke a little bit of his nostalgia. I mean, yeah, you got to tie in that marketing with the the fireworks. That's always a big event in Vancouver. So hopefully they can get people to make it a bit of a package deal. Uh, yeah, very much looking forward to that. But before we dive into the revs, we're going to have a quick word from our friends at Macy's Sports. Hey, third sub listeners, Sam here with a quick word from our friends at Macy's Sports. It's been a while since we did an ad read, so thought we'd update you on a couple of things available in store. Uh, First and foremost of those, Darby Magazine, issue number two, out now and available for purchase. Uh, If you like good storytelling about Canadian soccer, uh, it's a great writing, great photography, great overall aesthetic. It's a good publication for you. And uh, stories in there on Atiba Hutchinson, Daniel Henry, Julia Grosso as well. Obviously, gold medal winner, also Vancouver Whitecaps women's alumni. So that's awesome. Uh, but beyond Darby, you've also got um, some fresh offerings from Adidas on the boots front. Um, always apparel, uh, supporters gear, that kind of stuff as well. If you're looking to dive into the summer season with some new kit, or maybe just reading up on a few Canadian soccer stories, Macy's has the stuff for you. So uh, cheers to Macy's as always. Now we'll head back to the show. All right, and uh, we're back here after a bit of a quick break on this express edition of the 138th episode of the third sub podcast, New England Revolution. I mean... The defending Supporters' Shield winners come to town. It's important to remember. MLS got to love it. Just not the same team at all. I mean, no Tay John Buchanan, the electric Canadian, never got to play at BC Place with the Revolution. Uh, unfortunately, Canada is the only time he's gotten to play, which, hey, at least a, li- a little easier to cheer for him than against him if you're a Whitecaps fan. In that case, no Adam Buxa, the, the leading scorer so far this year for the Revs. Uh, now a league uh, striker, as with Buchanan now in the, 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 the Belgian league. Also, just New England, they're killing it with the transfers. Matt Turner, goalkeeper now an Arsenal player. So uh, not a bad list of exports, but the Revolution still a very solid team. Sebastian Legette, 
Some might know the boy from his time with LA Galaxy and the U.S. men's national team. Very big trade that was intra-league wise for the revolution. Josie Altador, a guy the Whitecaps fans will know very well. And just knowing how much Altador loves the Whitecaps, I'm sure a goal or two, a bet on, on a goal or two would never be a, a bad investment knowing how, how much Altador loves BC plays. Omar Gonzalez, another name that the Whitecaps fans might remember a little more fondly than Altador, say, given his, uh, his experience against the Whitecaps. Very interesting uh, a team are the revolution Sam, I mean, we'll just start by before diving into this. What are you expecting from from the Revs in their first visit to Vancouver? And what's been a long time? So, yeah, um, first matchup between these two teams since the summer of 2019 in MLS play. First, last actual matchup between these two teams, uh, February 2020 preseason in Portland, where the Whitecaps took a 2-0 win. Goals from Ali Adnan, I believe it was a free kick, and Lucas Cavallini. Uh, so shout out to that that uh, that preseason tournament in Portland before everything sort of went upside down. So uh, well, I'll say I'll, I remember that game fondly because that was the first time I actually saw like Tate John Buchanan properly play, and I was like, this kid, like <laughs> he's all right. He had a quite quite the good game uh, that day, and since then, it, the rest has been history for him since. So. Yeah, so I mean, the, the record between these two teams in their current iterations is not extensive, right? There's basically no um, no real backlog. Uh, going all the way back, the last four matchups between these two teams, New England is undefeated, but two draws snuck in there. So uh, the history goes back, um, you know, that's back to 2017. So there's just really no usable data about how these teams match up. And as you mentioned, some big names on the way out. I mean, I think if you're talking league-wide news stories, that's really all that people have been talking about with the Revs since their Supporters' Shield win, which is, you know, who's headed out the door. But you've still got um, a couple big, big names, big attacking threats in the lineup. And as you mentioned, Alex, um, You've got some some former TFC players. You've got uh, you know a U.S. men's national teamer. So they so they made some some quality additions. I think uh, Gonzalez been I don't want to say disappointing because I don't know if a ton was expected going in, but certainly early in the year uh, when it's worth mentioning, kind of like a Seattle, you know, New England managing Concacaf Champions League, like an NYCFC. These teams early in the year. We see them struggle for depth, struggle for consistency in league play because they're trying to juggle both competitions. And that was very much true in New England. Got off to a really slow start, um, but since they've really rounded into form despite losing some of these key players. So uh, yeah, un- undefeated for a good stretch here and, uh, and, and kind of finding their balance with, uh, with some of these players swapped in, swapped out. So I, I think it's a... It'll be a stiff challenge for for the Whitecaps, but at the same time, I think there's there's every reason to believe, um, especially in light of New England's defensive record, that uh, there's goals to be had, and obviously Vancouver has to be liking the way they're playing at home right now. So I think this should be a good matchup. And for what it's worth, this New England roster is still very deep. I mean, we talked about the names gone, the names coming in. That's just the MLS names coming in. Dylan Barrero, a new addition. Just a 20-year-old Colombian winger played for Atletico Mineiro. And if you've been following, I think I might have butchered that, but uh, close-ish 
No, but if you've been following Monero, or I think I'm slightly off the pronunciation, but uh, they dominated Brazilian soccer last year, brought on the famed Brazilian Hulk. Uh, and I think also might have gotten some Diego Costa, if I'm not, if my memory serves me correct. Uh, I don't know how the heck they, they got the, that, that sort of duo coming on. Sam can confirm for, for me on that. But Monero, a solid team. Barrera wasn't really in that starting squad as, uh, you know, the, the, Costa and Hulk, as Sam gives me the thumbs up, kind of pushed for the final of the Libertadores. I think it is where they lost. They won the Brazilian League. He wasn't kind of playing much. He's on the fringes, but still to be in such a squad, train with such players in a top league, amazing experience. He's 20s come and he's looked ready for it. I mean, he's kind of burst out of a cannon so far. The revolution has a, at least a goal. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, might, might be more. He's looked, he just has one goal. It was his last game because he for just reading online, seeing a glimpses of his performances myself, he's looked electric. Otherwise, uh, this one's going to be a little harder to pronounce. I think it's Georgi Petrovic. Uh, fancy writing on his name, the goalkeeper, 22-year-old Serbian. Very similar mold on, right off the top of my head is Ranko when he came, uh, how Ranko is at center back, played a lot of minutes in the Serbian flight. Uh, Petrovic comes to, to MLS having played 20 Serbian uh, games, which as a young goalkeeper, never bad to play in the top flight. He's he's the Turner replacement. He's already been integrated in, looks like a decent little signing. And then, of course, you look at the guy still there, Gustavo Bo, magical left and right foot he has from distance, from inside the box, cannot sleep a second with him on the field. And then Carlos Heal, I mean, last year's MVP, racked up assists and key passes for fun. He was averaging something like four or five key passes last year, which is one of the most absurd stats I've ever seen this year. He's been quiet and still has eight MLS assists this year. I'm not sure how many of them are, are primary or any of them secondary, but still very impressive output again to, to, to get eight assists. I don't think anyone on the white caps comes close to four right? <laughs> off the top of my head, which shows how good of a creator uh, Carlos Hill is. So still a very, very solid revolution side coming to Vancouver. Yeah, absolutely. You hit those points. Well, I mean, I think anytime you got Hill and, and Bo on the field together, that's a, a dangerous combination. And that's why I think, kind of looking back to my York comments, having guys like Tristan Blackman and Javane Brown rested, uh, you have to, and, and Ranko Veselinovic as well, you have to think the instruction is, okay, we need to contain these guys. And if we're capable of doing that, then we stand a good chance in this match. Uh, but as you mentioned, Barrero um, really coming on recently, I think probably getting used to playing match in, match out again, and uh, and getting used to the league as well. And then Petrovic, I really like the Ranko comp. Just had good youth experience, came up through the same club, came into the first team, had a good level of success, and then was ready for a step to the next level. So I think they, if early signs are any indication, they found a good value replacement for for Matt Turner. Uh, at least for now. I mean, it's always tough when you lose someone who's right at the top of the league in terms of their position, but uh, it seems like a good addition thus far. And I think with all these with all these moves in and out, talking with uh, our SB Nation friends in New England, it's changed under Bruce Arena and, and the current management, the way they're able to operate as a club, right? Like all of a sudden, this is a, a bigger budget, uh, bigger market feeling uh, team in MLS. Just even having um, a Buchanan, a Buxad, a Turner, having someone like Hill and Bo, like all of a sudden that the reputation of the New England Revolution 
beyond MLS is a lot greater. I think they're able to, you know, even with something like the success of the New New England Patriots, they're able to sort of, there's a marketability there to the Boston market. Uh, I think New England's finally starting to use their, some of their advantages to uh, act like a act like a big market club, and I think that's really being felt with uh, the stars they've been able to keep, the big names they've been able to move out to big clubs, and just the way they're they're cycling in new talent. And so, despite the fact it's been a slow start to the year, I think long term this is a team that could continue to be really really good. That being said, I mean something I do want to point out for uh, for those getting ready for this one is that. Um, the Revs have been on a good run of form recently, but I think looking back at the highlights, um, looking back at the results, there are some reasons to think, oh, well, maybe there's some, you know, there's some cracks in the armor. Or at least the results maybe aren't as full value as they looked. I mean, Cincinnati's certainly been better this year, but, um, you know, uh, two late goals against Cincinnati and against SKC to eke out wins in the 87th and 89th minutes. Uh, so I do think you have to look at that there and say that, you know, they're not dominating 3-0. Uh, they're not just getting these virtuoso performances. They are winning by thin margins. And I think especially um, on the road, having a, a long travel day, uh, the Whitecaps can take some of those advantages and, and maybe run with it. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's going to be interesting what version of the revolution that we're going to see. I mean, they've certainly been finding their legs as of late. Champions League, it hurt. It always hurts. <laughs> Even Seattle suffered some of that hurt in terms of body capital lost where they started off in the standings, especially the way it ended for, for New England. I think they actually really could have done well this year. I mean, they lost to the Pumas team that ended up going to the final, but they lost after going up 3-0 at home and then blew it on the road where they lost 3-0 and then lost on penalties. Uh, so you also wanted the revolution. Do they, could they have gone up against Cruz Azul in the semis, beaten them and gotten an all MLS champions league final where they would have given them a chance who knows. So a lot of pain there, but the revolution, like you mentioned, I thought it was interesting. The big club thing. Cause uh, one thing I also wanted to note is Boston, but really what's the revolution stadium was able to get into the world cup, 2026 host cities, which to me is a bit of an upset in terms of some of the other cities that might've been left behind but it shows that you know they've seen what the the revolution and the the patriots have done as a franchise at gillette stadium which we have to remind people is not close to boston so the fact that they included as a as a world cup city uh, just shows the sort of interest that people have had in the organization and in the stadium but in terms of their club uh, right now you know, it's been a bit an interesting run of form as of late. I think after the the tough start, we're seeing a little more of the true revolution. They have game breakers. Uh, they 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 can get the job done defensively. I think they're top ten in terms of xG against a game. Offensively, they've been surprisingly a bit more quiet. To be fair, that also we can chalk that down to the Gustavo Bow effect. For example, he consistently overperforms his XG just because he loves those long 0.02 XG shots that he makes look like 0.2 XG shots. He's that good of a player. Uh, so that's not that surprising. Also, they're about to lose Book. So it'll be interesting how he, they replace him because he's good at scoring goals in the box. Uh, but in terms of the the revolution, they're finding their form. They're in a playoff spot in the East. I think given what we know about them, they should be expected to contend for, for a playoff spot uh, this year. So can they come to BC Place and topple the Whitecaps? It's going to be hard in the sense that the Whitecaps, again, unless you're named the Portland Timbers, you're not exactly 
many teams, not many teams are beating the Whitecaps in BC place these days, but uh, still could be a, a very a good matchup, I think, considering the scope of talent on uh, the Revolution side. It does feel a little bit like the uh, the New England Revs are on the Seattle Sounders Portland Timbers plan, which is sort of slow build throughout the MLS season, you know build up their form, don't waste too much energy early on, just get into the playoffs with a good seeding. Well, they saw last secure, secure a couple home matchups, and then like figure it out come playoff time. And I think, yeah, you kind of have to learn the hard way a couple times in, out, in the MLS Cup playoffs, right, to know how to pace yourself. Well, I mean, they set a record last year for points. I mean, yes, it was a bit of a weird one because they only played Eastern Conference teams. So it's like unlike LAFC's record where they had to play everyone. Still, they said they had 71 points last year, I think it was, of the all-time record, 72. But then they lost right in the beginning of the playoffs. They got the bye and then lost to the eventual champs, NYCFC. So maybe you're right in the sense that they're kind of doing the the, the Seattle Sanders, like lurk in the weeds, and then you get hot at the right time, and then you go from there because they got hot all season long, got a bye, just kind of killed their momentum, and uh, that, that kind of ended their season for them. So it is a good point. So something to watch out for this match. Um, Sebastian Legette, Henry Kessler, Brandon Bai um, were all out against Minnesota, uh, and their status is sort of questionable going into this one. So in the last matchup with Minnesota, Wilfred Kaptoum and Tommy McNamara, obviously very recognizable MLS name there, started in the, the double pivot. So uh, I think that's an area that if you have Caio Alexandre and... Uh, Andres Kubas on the pitch. Maybe that's actually a, a source of strength for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Not often you've been able to say that in the past, but uh, that's something to track who's in and out of the lineup there in the center of the park. Um, and then Brandon By, I mean, he was a uh, maybe the less notable of the of the fullback wingback types for uh, for New England last year uh, in comparison to Tejon Buchanan, but was still an impact player able to chip in with goals and assists on a regular basis. So if he's not available, that will be a bit of a miss for New England. Yeah, so I think overall, lots to like about this game. Should be a solid one, I'd like to hope. Big game for the Whitecaps in the sense that interconference team coming to town. These are bonus points, but if considering the record at home, if they can get a three points here, this would allow them to make up ground. Uh, and they can they can go for it because again, if you drop points, you're not necessarily in a bad position. If you draw uh, New England, but I like to think they can get the job done and win at home. So should be a big one for the Whitecaps. We got a run of home games here. This is where they can really not just make up ground, but like we said, gain ground. You get LAFC as well in the the return of Mark DeSantos. Just kidding. The return of Maxima Crepo. Just want to, to throw that out there for some initial outrage, but uh, it is the return of both. Uh, and then you got the you know. Dane Sinclair's first visit to to BC Place shortly after. I don't know where I'm getting all these storylines out of my my wazoo for for these games. So a big run of home games for the White Cavs. Good chance for them to get some points. Good way to kick it all off because then it's a tough road swing, and then all of a sudden you've got Lorenzo Insigne, Domenico Crescito, and all these guys coming to town for the Italian. I mean the Canadian Championship against Vanni Sartini and company. <laughs> On July 27th, a big run of games at BC plays the Whitecaps. A good way to start it off would be a win over the Revolution. 
Absolutely. So before we sign off here, let's do a little let's do a little classic uh, third sub preview pod activity, which is uh, Whitecaps lineup prediction for the weekend and and score prediction. So I'll I'll kick things off, Alex, and then you see what you think of what I have to say. Okay. Well, starting for me, I'm a in goal Cody Cropper. I don't think that's there's any great shock there. Um, now on to the back three. I think I've hinted at this throughout the show. I'm going Javane Brown, Ranko Vasilinovic, Tristan Blackman. Uh, then for your four, um, Ryan Raposo, Andres Kubas. I'm going to stick with Russell Tybert. I think they just roll with Rusty. He gets another start. And then Marcus Godinho, Ryan Gold in that attacking midfield position. And then I've got Lucas Cavallini and Christian Dahomey up front. So uh, there might be a few differences there I can sense already. So, yeah, curious for your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, uh, not much of a difference for me in a sense. I mean, we start in goal. We got Cody, the heart stopper or the shot stopper, cropper, whatever you want to go with. You got a back three of Tristan Blackman, uh, Ranko Veselinovic, uh, and Javade Brown. I don't think that's much of a surprise. I do wonder Erica Doyce uh, sticks in. Uh, I, I will put that out there. It is home. They yes, said, it is. They said once a week, correct? And Vanny was very adamant about once a week. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's why, why I kept I'm saying- it out. That's why I'm putting a shout just because it is at home. Because Eric Godoy also does seem to struggle with planes. So a lack of plane might play in his favor in a Sunday game. But uh, I will stick with that back three. I'm just throwing out a shout for uh, Godoy because I uh, like to do that. I think wingbacks, we got Ryan Raposo on the left. Uh, Marcus Gadino on the right, not much of a surprise. I'm going to have a double pivot of Kubas and Kayo. I think they'll want to build some chemistry. They've given Kayo his week off. They've given Kubas his rest. Then Gauld at the number 10, let him get his form. And Brian White and Lucas Cavallini, get, get her at her. If it's Henry Kessler and whoever, if it's Omar Gonzalez, if it's, you know, whomever else we've seen playing for the New England Andrew Revolution. Farrell. Andrew Farrell, the good old, old, good old reliable Andrew Farrell. You got the, this new guy, John Bell, which, you know, one of the shortest names I've ever seen, by the way, seven letters and just between his first and second name, uh, John Bell, will, will the American 23-year-old, I think he is. Also, you know, can he go handle the, the heat that is Brian White and Lucas Cavallini? That's what I think. But we'll, we'll have to see. Knowing Vanny Sertini, I think we're forgetting some, uh, you know, like Diver Caicedo, I'm sure we'll find a way to start and make us look foolish. I'm sure Luis Martins will find a way to start, make us look foolish. Uh, but uh, I guess we'll see. Maybe Vanny's listening to the show and we'll see. But in terms of score predictions, if he's listening, what are you going for for a score prediction, Sam? Uh, we're going for a classic home team victory. Vancouver Whitecaps, two to one. I mean, I think you, you <laughs> pointed out you pointed out the matchup, uh, whether it's Cavallini and Caicedo, Cavallini and Dahomey, Cavallini and White. It feels like Cavallini starting White no matter what. I think I like Vancouver's attackers against uh, New England's back line. I'm actually surprised, Alex, that you said that they're in the top half defensively in terms of uh, – XG against. Yeah, because that they they haven't looked like that so far this year, and they've allowed a lot of goals. So uh, I think that's a matchup that uh, Vancouver can exploit. Maybe the maybe the XG gods will prove otherwise, but uh, that's definitely something I'm circling to watch out for. So yeah, I'm going two one home team effect uh, in full swing. I think it's probably a a reasonably even matchup, but maybe that ultimately makes the difference. And I like the fact that Vanny has kind of got all the tools at his disposal, everyone's reasonably fit. So that always helps. 
we're gonna have to start calling the two one the Vanny Sartini special because I think if you look back to a lot of their results, that's uh one of the more popular score lines we've seen under uh, Vanny Sartini. So for, as tempting as it is for me to go for that, I'm gonna go for a Whitecaps win, but I'm gonna throw out. I'm going to go for a three to one victory. I think the Whitecaps do allow a goal. Uh, just, you know, keep the, the, the run of without clean sheets going. Just kidding. They literally kept a clean sheet this past weekend, but it feels like they've had, it's been a while in terms of them with clean sheets at home with this York game. You look back, uh, you know, that San Jose chaotic game, even Dallas going up early RSL. They've, it has been a while since they've kept a clean sheet at home, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that run sticks, but Lucas Cavallini in great form. Maybe he gets a brace and then a third one from an unlikely hero. Maybe Marcus Godinho gets his first MLS uh, goal or something of that that likes. Or Ryan Gold breaks a bit of a slump and gets his goal. Uh, that's kind of what I'm going for in terms of the the, the revolution. I'm going for a Josie Altidore goal, goal just to just for good old time's sake. He always seems to love scoring at a BC place, but I still think the Whitecaps emerge unscathed with the victory. I like it. I like it. I just, I've had something I want to bring up here kind of last minute, but I think it's an interesting question just before we sign off. So Vancouver Whitecaps currently, you know, sitting in eighth in the West, um, 16 point or 18, sorry, 20 points through 16 matches. So not a bad clip, but negative 10 goal differential. Um, this New England Revs match will mark the halfway point of the MLS regular season. Alex, do we think that they get back to a level goal differential by the end of the season? Or is that too much to ask? I'm really torn in terms of the White like what if what if we idea. what if we set the over under at minus three as the goal difference? Like would you bet would you bet that they get above that line? Thing is with the white caps, they're just the kings of just getting blown out after. But like they love I don't to get think blown out, a, I don't think there's any chance. I think they could make the playoffs and maintain their negative ten goal difference. That's that's truly how I see it happening. Well, it's just the problem is like again, they just love to 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 win by one goal, lose by three. And I mean they haven't really done it in a while, so maybe I'm just reacting to old habits. But I just think again, they love to win by one goal. Maybe this run of home games, they finally start to win by two and three and four, which I think would be nice to see them do a bit more of in, in games. Even this year, like when they played York and Valor, they weren't even even able to get any sort of blowout. So it's maybe really not their style. But uh because I'd say they finish even but bang even. Like, I feel like they can claw back the minus 10. They'll get enough wins, but it's going to be like, they're not going to get enough blowout wins to, to move the needle too much. And they will lose some games as well. And there's some really interesting, it goes to show how even Major League Soccer has been this year. I mean, you've got Real Salt Lake uh, second in the West with it on only a plus one goal differential. You've got Portland down in 13th with a negative four goal differential in the East You've got Orlando fourth with a negative two goal differential and then Columbus 11th with a positive one goal differential. So goes to show those margins are thin. Blowout matches can make a big difference. I just thought it's interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the Vancouver can play at a, at a positive 10 goal difference pace the rest of the year, but I, but I don't think that matters. It's just uh, one of those funny anomalies. In, in the league table that, that's probably going to remain. 
I suppose we'll see. I mean, it, this is MLS, as one famous person once said. And uh, I guess on that note, enjoy this MLS season, no matter where you, you are. Hopefully you enjoy this MLS game. Apparently we've been told, uh, according to some of those charts, uh, which kind of hilarious, that we've uh, gotten a strong uptick in Nigerian listeners lately. So just shout out to all our Nigerian listeners out there. Uh, and anywhere else in the world, you may consume the third sub and MLS and Canadian Championship and CPL and all the other sort of stuff we dive into. So uh, shout out to those people there. And speaking of our great and fantastic listeners, I want to thank you again for your support. If you ever have a minute and you do want to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, means a lot. goes a long way for, for us, but uh, pleasure as always to, to dive into these episodes. It's been great to get a bit of our rhythm back and, and going. I think we missed it, and I think it's added a bit to the flow, especially with the Whitecaps all of a sudden getting results once again. It's been nice. We've just been rolling through good good vibes every episode. Hopefully the Whitecaps get another win this weekend. We can keep the good vibes going in the lead-up to, again, the Canadian Championship final, which I think it's going to be the... For me, this is good. that's going to be the peak, at least of the season, just considering it's mid-season. The Whitecaps are going to be healthy, everything. I think, again, the playoffs, can the Whitecaps do damage? We'll, that, we have a lot more time to talk in about, about that on, on, on epi- an episode, pardon me, as the year goes along. So will they peak in the playoffs? Who knows? But this Canadian Championship, it's real. It's an opportunity, not one to be missed. But again, a lot more soccer before then. Until then, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Kongaruzic at BTSFanCity, BTSFanCity.com. Pleasure as always. Sam, I'll let you close off with uh, some last words. Yeah, Alex, perhaps we have a David Egbo super fan on our hands. That, that could be a shout out uh, to our Nigerian listeners out there. Uh, that's the link I can think of, so that's what I'm going with. Uh, you can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com. And you can find our podcast at Third Sub Pod on Twitter, The Third Sub on Instagram. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening, and we'll chat again soon.